Welcome, everybody, to the Health and Wellness Show on the Top Radio Network. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. And joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet today, we have Doug, Erica, and Elliot. Welcome, guys. Hey, everybody. Hey. Great. So uh, today is February 5th. Um, 2016, and we have a uh, an interesting topic today. That's a bit of a a recap um, to uh, to some of the past shows that we've done. Uh, but we're going to talk about depression and the insanity of the world. So you know, there's there's seemingly no end uh, to the level of insanity and evil that pervades the world world around us. Um, it's unsurprising that many who are paying attention will succumb to feelings of depression, anxiety intense loneliness, uh, things like that. So we want to talk about what is the right perspective to hold on um, to hold on to during these times. Uh, how can you continue to function uh, when everything around you is kind of falling apart, uh, falling into chaos? Um, so we just want to talk about that. We'll, we'll touch, you know, on some uh, matters of, of physical health and wellness, uh, mental health, uh, as well as some perhaps slightly more uh, esoteric matters. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, a letter that uh, we at uh, Shot Talk Radio received from a listener. And now if you listen to the other t- two shows on the Shot Radio Network, uh, last Sunday, um, <clears throat> Joe and, and Neil... Uh, covered this topic, and uh, Doug and uh, Tiffany were on the show with them, and it was very interesting, and I recommend going back and listening to that if you haven't yet. Um, but we decided uh, that all three of our shows, uh, our show as well as the Truth Perspective Tomorrow, would uh, would cover this topic just so that we can get everybody's kind of varied perspective. And so I want to read the letter that this listener sent in, uh, and they said, uh, I have a suggestion about a show that may help those who find themselves isolated and disconnected from others. I think it is natural to feel depressed and lonely if you are in the beginnings of understanding how the world operates, while others around you do not seem to align with that understanding. I feel alone. I feel isolated. I'm depressed. Reading the articles on Sod and listening to you all, uh, these three shows every weekend gives me something I can relate to and connect with. I want to thank you for giving that to me. Uh, And, Quick aside, we want to thank you for writing this letter and for for having that appreciation. Uh, it's really mm-hmm. nice to receive this. Um, yeah. The listener continues to say, I feel in debt to your efforts in a way. I'm curious if I'm not the only one. I uh, graduated with honors from the university and went on to medical school and afterwards, but withdrew after learning how hopeless it seemed. I may have made a mistake. I've been trying to piece together a purpose for myself ever since, and I keep coming up empty. I would love to hear your thoughts about inspiration, purpose, willpower, and how diet and lifestyle may connect to it. What is inspiration? How is it connected to levels of dopamine, iodine, endocrine function, parasympathetic tone? Uh, Is it possible that if we apply information, then we will become more inspired and creative? So this is the, uh, this letter is the inspiration of our show today. And so we wanted to address some of these points and we'll, we'll do our best to, uh, to get into some of the details um, I think maybe just to start off the discussion and see what you guys think about this, you know, <clears throat> uh, the world is a dark place. I guess it, it always has been, 
you know, I, unless you look back into like deep, deep history, uh, and you look into some of these, you know, like the golden age and, uh, and times in the past where things have been, may have been a little bit more, um, harmonious on the planet. Um, I think the majority of the time they have not, you know, the human race seemingly, uh, has always been admired in some kind of war, some kind of conflict. Um, <clears throat> we talk about uh, psychopaths, too, you know, have, have been around and have been dominating and, and taking control of, uh, of other humans um, throughout human history. And mm-hmm. uh, it just seems like, you know, the, the overall shift of the, uh, or I guess the psychological bent of the human race is more towards selfishness and this you can see it in different like religious and esoteric traditions you know the christians we call it original sin um and whatever your your own you know beliefs or outlook on that is um it's it's been a i guess it's kind of a hot topic for discussion it has been when i talk about this with other people you know are humans uh bent towards serving themselves and 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 screwing over other people you know, or is it that we're manipulated into serving ourselves um, and the screwing over the other people that comes from a certain group of humanity and not everybody is inclined to do that? Um, I have my own opinions on the topic, but uh, I'll kind of leave those for now. I think we'll just do a more general uh, discussion at this point in time. But to address this listener's uh, questions, coming up with a purpose for themselves uh, and and continuing to come up empty, um, mm. I think let's let's start with that, and then we'll get into kind of like the health related things around it, because there are certainly factors with how your body and your brain works that can make the the task of coming up with a purpose a little bit more clear and a little bit more attainable. Um, but uh, I guess what I wanted to ask what you guys think, you know, in your in your own lives. Um, have you found, you know, have you have you been in these moments where this listener talks about where you seem aimless, purposeless, uh, and uh, and it's just hard to figure out like how to go on, you know? And I'm not necessarily speaking about suicidal thoughts, although that can play into it. I mean, just you know, essentially depression, where you you slow down, you come to a halt, and you're like, I have no idea what the hell to do right now. Um, mm. So I, I can speak to that too, but I want to leave it to you guys for a minute. Like, have you ever had that kind of experience? Yes. Well, um, what really resonated with me in the letter was this um, going to school and graduating with honors and feeling like, you know, when you're young, you have a purpose, you're you're pursuing this goal that's kind of um, – not necessarily forced on you, but there's a lot of pressure from society and parents. And, you know, if you don't have a college degree, you'll never make it in the world. Mm. And um, I know for me personally, I can really empathize with what the the reader wrote about, you know, going through college, graduating with honors, and then, you know, thinking that your purpose is to continue on, whether it's getting a, a master's degree or a Ph.D., and then kind of having this realization, like, why are you really doing this? What What's the whole purpose behind it? And I mm-hmm. went to school for many years. I graduated with honors. I got a BS in education, which is kind of interesting. 
And then um, at the at the end of it all, I, I had those exact same feelings, um, and I ended up not going into the teaching profession purely because of the system that is, at least in the United States, uh, we call it the death of education, you know, um, and so you have kind of that crucial moment where you have to choose, am I going to continue on this path even though I'm not happy about it or it's not fulfilling or am I going to do something else you know and and I feel like that's what the reader was really sharing you know you you put Mm. so much effort and energy into pursuing something and then you graduate and you get your little piece of paper and then that question comes up well what now you know I did this and and what's my true purpose yeah I I can definitely relate to that as well I you know when I graduated university, I was in a similar position, you know, I had an honors BA um, and kind of like, you know, I I, I did well in school and, you know, a lot of my professors and stuff were like, you know, you should go on and and do your master's and maybe get your PhD and that sort of thing. And, but it was kind of like I had seen what the academic world was all about and it didn't interest me, like not in the least, I didn't want to keep on going on. Um, So even though this was before I had encountered any like, you know, solder or um, even the work or anything like that, I still kind of had this this feeling that, um, you know, this isn't this isn't where it is. This isn't where I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And it was, you know, I went through a complete crisis at that point. I had no idea what, what the next step to take was and was, ex- you know, extremely anxious about my future. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can definitely relate to that, you know, and the, 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 the listener says that he, you know, he quit medical school and he thinks maybe he made a mistake and, you know, all this kind of second guessing. But then when you look at the world around you and what's going on, it's kind of like, well, why would I bother doing this? It just doesn't seem to make any sense. Yeah. Um, while I was going through school, I, um, well, I, I actually chose against going to, to university. Um, when I turned 18, I... <laughs> I always had this nagging question, like, what, you know, what is my purpose here on earth? You know, is it just to get a job, to pay your taxes, to, you know, get your qualifications and blah, 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 just the the same old story, I guess, what you're told to do by society. But, um, yeah, when I turned 18, I got on a plane and went to India and stayed (laughs) there for nine months because I believed that maybe my purpose maybe i could i could find some answers um in in india and <laughs> nine months down the line um i came back empty-handed <laughs> um yeah. india didn't really have what i was hoping it would have uh this whole idea of spirituality and and you know um all of these sorts of concepts um they simply weren't there or I couldn't find them there. They weren't available to me there. And I came back and <laughs> I just had this sudden realization of, you know, what am I actually going to do? <laughs> and I think, mm. um, I think with the state of the world, looking at the world around you and seeing the suffering and seeing the, uh, I guess you could say how mechanical, um, mm everything is around you it's um it's it's very difficult to 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 individually find what our purpose is here um you know 
Yeah. That kind of reminds me of uh, Ospensky in Search of the Miraculous. How at the beginning of the book, he was traveling all over the place, kind of trying to find answers and kept on coming back empty-handed. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's especially hard when what? you, I think when you feel like like you don't have a purpose to ascribe that mm-hmm. to anyone else as well. Um, you know, you can see <clears throat> people that are doing quote-unquote great things uh, and, you know, uh, just a couple off the top of my head, and these are probably not the best examples, but I think of like, and I have to be honest, I wish that this didn't, but the first one that comes to mind is uh, his name, Branson, Richard Branson, the guy who is the CEO mm-hmm. of Virgin. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks about like growing up in, in poverty and then, you know, pulling himself up by his bootstraps, um, you know, and, and becoming super successful. But when you really even dissect that, like you don't know what this guy's inner life is like. And, you know, mm-hmm. success is not the end all be all. Um, of course, everybody would like to have a million dollars. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> it's been shown time and time again, even by people who have a lot of money and a lot of success and power, that that in itself is not fulfilling. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the, we have this paradigm of of what success is in our reality, in our culture, uh, <clears throat> and we're kind of programmed and prodded to, to strive towards that, uh, yet that itself uh, is not even that fulfilling. Um and so it, it brings me to the question, you know, like, what is what is our purpose? And I guess we might as well just kind of dive into the, the deep end right away. Um, you know, I guess in, in, in my own opinion and based on a lot of the things that I've read, um, our purpose is essentially to be a part of this, uh, of this reality, of this existence, and to learn. Um, you know, when you, when you look at um, sort of the yin and the yang or the, the two sides of, like, entropy and creation, uh, you know, inward self-serving versus outward serving others. Um, mm-hmm. The the only true way that you can that you can work towards community and towards contributing to uh, society or humanity as a whole or creation as a whole is to learn new things. And if you don't mm-hmm. learn anything, um, then you stagnate and you essentially become this uh, static point. Uh, you know, you have nothing new coming in, <clears throat> no new skills, no new knowledge, uh, and therefore nothing to contribute. And so it, it occurs to me that our purpose is essentially to learn as much as we can. Um, and so that's not always, it's not always sunshine and, and flowers. Uh, oftentimes it's actually quite depressing. But it, it, if you can hang on to that point of, you know, at least I'm learning right now, um, that I, I find for me that helps you know, with the idea of, like, purpose and inspiration. Well, I think that, that you bring up a very good point, Jonathan. I think that um, uh, a lot a lot of what the struggle that people have, you know, such an issue with is that it seems like the world is going in one direction. You know, that it has, you know you mentioned the, the psychopaths and their influence on, on society, the polarization. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, everybody else has decided that the purpose is to kind of get on the corporate ladder and, or not necessarily corporate ladder, but, you know, to, to get your piece of the pie, you know, to, uh, to work, to get money, because money gives you abilities to do other things. And, you know, somewhere in there, there is happiness. 
and that's you know that's what we're we're all kind of striving for. But I think anybody who is a little bit more aware and able to kind of look at at reality at least from a semi-objective state can kind of see that this isn't the 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 path that they want to take. You know that there is maybe an alternative. Um, but of course, then the alternatives out there that are offered are often uh, lacking as well. Like Elliot mentioned, going to India to kind of search for something. You know, there's this idea kind of promulgated out there, kind of new agey, that you know, there's this this kind of spirituality that uh, um, you know is somewhat ephemeral and, and and difficult to find, but that you need to kind of you know uh, find a guru or something along those lines. And it's just kind of like like the the options that are presented out there seem to be so lacking. And I think that that's, that is the struggle in and of itself. So, you know, I mentioned this on the Sunday show, and I think when it comes right down to it is that the first part of purpose is kind of finding your purpose. You know, the first part of, of you know, figuring this, this thing out is, like you said, Jonathan, learning, you know, trying to figure out what, um, what, what we're doing here and, and where you fit into it. And, and again, like you brought up, you know, I think the, the, the issue of community, the issue of finding like-minded individuals, um, helping, you know, I think that that, uh, we've, we've covered many uh, topics on SOD about empathy and how, um, you know, working for others is actually, you know, more beneficial to yourself. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of the starting point. I agree. You know, I think, you know, back to this idea of college and social expectations, you know, when you attempt to live your life according to the values that aren't your own, you start to mm. suffer that inner conflict, you know, you uh, minimize what you really want, your true desires, and then ultimately you end up repressing who you really are. And I think it's a process, like like you said, Elliot, going to India or Doug trying on different things, you know, um, kind of having that space to be open to trying different things and and what Mm. fits and what doesn't and then not being uh, rigid and constricted into, well, this is what I've got to do, otherwise I won't succeed. Like, I think it's important to know that failure is a good thing sometimes. Mm. (laughs) That makes sense. Absolutely. You know, for... For me, I went into education and I thought, you know, my my whole life, oh, I'd be a school teacher and I'd work with children and I really love them. And then when I went through the whole kind of indoctrination period of being a teacher, I realized that I didn't, that's not necessarily what I was identified with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I did want to be a teacher, just not in such a confined environment. And I ended up doing lots of other things and learning lots of different teaching modalities it's kind of led me where I'm at today, you know, wanting to learn and share information, but not being kind of pigeonholed in just one aspect of what teaching is. Mm. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of to to not be afraid to change gears too, you know, to change streams. Um, a, a lot of times, like you know, where you're on this path and you're kind of following it along, and you know, you, you kind of come to a point where you feel like, you know, I've I've, I've learned what I need to learn here. Um, this isn't, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, the, the end goal here doesn't match with what my end goal is. And um, I think, you know, it can, it can be incredibly, uh, you know, uh, troubling to, to kind of come to that conclusion and realize, you know, you've got all these societal pressures and everything. You've got your family and stuff. And it's like, yeah, hey, mom and dad, I'm leaving medical school. It's like, 
you know, obviously that's going to be a big, a big deal. But uh, you know, the 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 listener mentioned that you know he, he thinks he made a mistake. Well, I would I would maybe um, take a, a, another look at that and say and and really question whether or not you have made a mistake, because it really um, you know like I said you might you might come to the conclusion that the end goal is not actually in line with what your end goal is, and you know sometimes it requires that we kind of are in that for a while before we come to that conclusion, before we kind of realize that this, there is what, what's here is not what I'm looking for. And that, um, you know, sometimes you have to do these kind of radical changes, uh, you know, seemingly, you know, blow everybody else away, all your friends and family. Like, what are you doing? You know, sometimes that's what's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, it, it comes down to, um, I think, to changing your perspective of the, 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 the events that happen in your life and the choices that you make and your perceived mistakes. Because I think I think if you can change your perspective, and rather than seeing something as a mistake that you shouldn't have done, and therefore you were wrong in some way for making that mistake, you, if 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 that choice has led you to where you are now, to seeing reality um, that bit more objectively, to learning about yourself, what you do like and what you don't like. If you've made that choice and that choice has led up to now, then then that was a, that's a good thing, you know. Whether yeah. you're going to look at it as a mistake or not, the fact is that that is what has led you to where you are now, and you can be thankful that every choice and every event that has ever happened in your life has led you to this moment where you now have that bit more insight than you did previously. Yeah. You know? And I you know what you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If anything. You know, I had a, <clears throat> a similar experience talking about the school angle of things. Um, I had a job at a university and I was teaching. Uh, and I had an opportunity to become full professor, like tenure track, the whole nine. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But the... Uh, the school was accredited, and so I was required to get a master's degree uh, to continue with that uh, with that career path. And I had this total moment of clarity that was really hard and, uh, like, kind of threw me into a, a depression for a while where I realized that I was going to go massively into debt to get another degree to keep this job mm-hmm. that I would have to keep in order to pay back that debt uh, mm-hmm. and that I wasn't 100% sure that that was, that that was what I wanted to do. And the, the allure of, you know, calling myself professor and, and being, you know, saying, oh, I have tenure in five years, you know, that um, that was quite alluring at the time. Uh, but <clears throat> what, it, you know, what struck me and what caused me to, to change and, and lead that was uh, that it was basically just that, that allure. Um, now, I'm not knocking mm-hmm. people who are professors. I think it's a really actually quite a, a cool profession, but it just wasn't for me personally at that time. Um, and I ended up starting my own business and, uh, and now at a, you know, fairly under comfortable point, uh, you know, where bills are paid and things like that, but, you know, don't have like tons of nice things and all that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> it really, really sucked for a while. I mean, it was utterly, mm-hmm. utterly broke for like two years, mm-hmm. for more than two years. Um, and just kept going back. Did I make a mistake? Did I do the wrong thing? 
you know, is my family ashamed of me because my dad was a career professor? Um, you know, all of these expectations and societal expectations. And uh, when I, like Elliot said, you know, all the choices that you've made have led you to this point where you are now. And I'm glad that I did that, even though it was really hard um, and was really depressing for quite some time um, because it, it brought me here. Uh, and, of course, then, you know, I met these guys and now working on the show <coughs> and being a part of the, the forum and, and uh, you know, being a part of, like, the SOT uh, community uh, is extremely rewarding. Um, mm-hmm. And so even though there are times where being in this kind of line of uh, self-work, now, this is not professional work. This is more like, uh, I guess, self-work, uh, you know, working on the show and, and being a part of uh, – Times of the times, um, but being in this uh, is is at times utterly crushing. You know, I have to be completely honest about it. When you spend uh, a good portion of your day or your week um, reading about the injustices in the world and uh, the mm-hmm. imbalances and things that are going on, you have to have a strong constitution because at a certain point, uh, it's extremely tempting to say, you know, f this, I'm done. I'm going to go find a job somewhere, you know, um, go back to, you know, drinking beer and eating pizza um, and just, like, <laughs> go, basically, go back to sleep comfortably and, and you know, see how that goes. Uh, that That is actually tempting sometimes. <clears throat> but the realization occurs to me that uh, that were, were I to do something like that, uh, it would turn out bad. I, I'm sure that it would. Um, not only... Uh, do I now know that those kind of health and lifestyle choices are, are negative and have negative impacts? Um, but I think that just the the rejecting of the things that I've learned would in itself uh, cause me to become physically and mentally sick. Mm. Um, so I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but uh, speaking to the idea of having made mistakes, um, you know, there is a school of thought that there are no mistakes, um, that mm. everything happens as it should. And I'm not sure I 100% agree with that. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, when a, when a psychopathic soldier say, not saying all soldiers are psychopaths, I'm saying when a psychopathic soldier kills a, a child, um, that that certainly could have gone another way, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I, would like to see, I would like to see that go another way. And so I, that's why I say I'm not entirely comfortable with saying that there are no mistakes in, in reality. Um, but there is this idea that that everything happens for a reason uh, and for a purpose. Um, and so I think one of the main points is that uh, it can't all be happy. Uh, you know, for, for many years in, in my life, I, I pursued happiness like the dogs going after a fox on a fox hunt, just insanely, like, I got to be happy. Like, if I'm not feeling happy today, then something is wrong. And that, I think, in itself is wrong. Sometimes um, news about the world, sometimes things that happen in your life are, are not happy. They're, they're depressing. And uh, it's very important to not shy away from that, um, but rather to look it in the face uh, and experience that full range of emotion because that is part of your existence uh, in this reality. You know, it, it's part mm-hmm. of existing fully. Uh, when you deny certain aspects of reality, you are essentially, um, you know, disrespecting the fact that you exist, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's understandable um, what you were saying about the allure, Jonathan, of the um, the the job as a professor. And I think we all succumb to that allure sometimes. Um, I think part of what that is is that um, certain occupations, such as professor, they're uh, respected in society. Um, they're seen as a successful. And I think what it sort of boils down to is that we believe that being successful in society is deep down is really just going to bring us happiness and um and i think as we've already mentioned a lot of the time that just isn't true um being successful in a society that's based on the values that most of the world is based on at this moment in time um being successful in a society like that uh, to for a normal human being with a conscience, it, with all of the other things going on in the world, it, it, it's going to be very difficult to truly find happiness um, in, in, in that sense, if, if, that, if that makes any sense. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, I think, I think that um, a, lo a lot of us who, who do spend the time to... Um, you know, to look at the world, to try see things as they are, um, to try and find the truth about things that are going on in the world, whether it be, you know, um, corrupt politics or, you know, um, uh, wars, uh, uh, you know, any aspect of reality. I think those of us who, who really try to get, get to the bottom of what's going on in the world... Um, I think this feeling of depression and unhappiness is, to some extent, a healthy reaction. Um, mm. I think it would be very unhealthy for us or for people or for someone um, to maintain a state of happiness while all of this suffering is going on in the world. And so I, I, think, I think what we need to try and do is, um, is change the way that we view um, depression to some extent um, and to understand that it, it, it really is quite a healthy reaction um, to the atrocities that, that happen in the world. But it's to use that depression as uh, it was mentioned on the, on the Sunday show. It's to use that depression, that, that state of anxiety, that state of fear, that state of um, imbalance, I guess, as a, as a sort of impetus or a stepping stone to um, to developing um, a, a more objective view of of the world, and also mm. to learn about ourselves, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, and I think that part of the problem is that um, this idea of happiness as being the end goal is is a little bit skewed. Um, you know, because then everybody is, is kind of always pursuing this idea of happiness and what brings happiness and the question of whether money will bring happiness or, or love will bring happiness or, or all these sorts of, of things. You know, it, it's like, you know, we're presented with all these media images of these shiny, happy people, um, good consumers, you know, working their nine to five, going home and uh, sitting on the couch for three hours watching TV. You know, like this is, this is kind of the end goal. And I think uh, this gets kind of back to what, what Jonathan was saying there. Um, this idea that, you know, it, it, these things, have, that, that things happen for a reason. I think if we kind of, you know, skew, you know, switch our, our, our end goal 
from happiness to kind of self self development to you know gathering knowledge um, to increasing our state of being. Um, I think happiness is, you know, a kind of a side effect of these things as well. Um, you know, the more uh, objective viewpoint you can get on the world, uh, kind of the, the, the more of a real substantial happiness. And maybe happiness is even the wrong word there. Maybe it's more like fulfillment. But, you know, the idea that there are no mistakes, I think, it, you know, it, 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 that is very true because I think if you look at everything, you know, if our purpose on, uh, in existence is to learn lessons, you know, to, to learn about ourselves, to learn about the world, to learn, uh, to increase um, ourselves and our state of being, our knowledge, then any mistake that, you ha- that you've made um, was just a learning opportunity, right? You know, you didn't get it quite right this time. You made a mistake, you know, quote-unquote mistake. But then that kind of like by making that mistake, you have a better perspective on that lesson, and you're kind of like, oh, I see. I made the wrong move there. So when that lesson inevitably comes again, you already have more knowledge. You're like, okay, I made the wrong, the wrong move last time. I'm not going to make that same mistake again. Or maybe you will make it again, and you'll have to keep on repeating that lesson over and over again. Because I do think that, that, these, that you know, your lessons kind of come to you um, multiple times until you've learned them. I agree. Yeah. Well, in a lot of the depression research, too, they talk about pair and despair syndrome, you know, when we compare ourselves to an, a comment, you know, it, it tends to lead to this lack of faith or insight into what we're truly capable of. And mm-hmm. um, instead of focusing, like you said, Doug, on our own lessons and our own suffering that teaches us those lessons, sometimes very hard, you know, uh, the tendency is to compare, oh, like you were saying about, you know, this media idea of happiness, and then it just becomes a downward spiral. You know, there, mm. there's no way you can live up to those expectations, and then you end up, you know, sacrificing who you truly are because you're constantly comparing yourself to others. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I think partially it comes down to seeing things as they are and not as we wish them to be. Uh, it's partially mm-hmm. the, uh, the the benefit of this objective viewpoint uh, is that it, it helps you um, gain more knowledge in the long run. Um, and, you know, more objective information uh, is, I think, better if you want to do the better and worse classifications than subjective information because objective information will always lead you to a point where you can learn a lesson about something. Um, subjective mm-hmm. information saying, I wish it were this way. And so I'm just going to meditate really hard and I'm going to put out love and light and, and want everything to be better. Um, that you will be disappointed because the, the world does not work that way. You know, we're, we're not in an Edenic state. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to get a little bit esoteric about it, I guess there's this idea, like I mentioned earlier, of service to self or versus service to others. That our our realm, our existence, this planet is um, is is service to self, and so that's that's kind of how <clears throat> that's the framework uh, in which we exist. Um, and some people will, you know, fight against that and and try to be more, um, you know, compassionate uh, and more empathetic. 
towards others, to create community, to serve other people. Um, but there will also <clears throat> there will always be a, uh, a portion of humanity, whether you want to say that they're psychopaths or just regular humans who who act and feel this way, um, that are self-serving, um, and that's where this idea of, of success, you know, kind of stems out of. Like you you look out for yourself. Um, you try to be a nice person and blah blah blah, but you still look out for yourself, and that. There's a there's a very fine balance there that I'm, I guess I'm trying to put into words. Like you need to look out for yourself in in the sense that you need to be able to operate. Um, you know, if, if I <clears throat> like gave away um, my house and all of my possessions and emptied my bank account, there's a chance. You know, and this does happen in some cases where where people are then able to uh, to be supported by others as they carry out a, a path of complete and utter service. Um, however, that's not the uh, the majority, you know, and I think if you're living in kind of your day-to-day life, uh, you have a job, whether or not you live in a Western country, um, you, you have kind of day-to-day things that you do. You have to keep yourself alive. Um, you have to keep yourself nourished. You have to keep yourself mentally healthy uh, in order to be able to serve other people. Uh, and yeah. so it's kind of like, <clears throat> thinking about what what kind of instrument am I? You know, uh, am am I am I running on fumes, or do I have a full tank? In which case, if I have a full tank, I can I can be much more effective in the world around me. Yeah, I think that really gets down to it. And I think um, you know one one of the first steps in when you are kind of confronting this depression and this uh, this sense of loneliness is is kind of determining where it's coming from. Um, you know, it, it there it. As we said, I mean, it is a very normal and human reaction to look at the suffering of the world and 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 react in a in a negative way and maybe be depressed about it. But you also have to look at the state of yourself, the state of your being. You know, how's your diet? And as much as that sounds like it maybe doesn't relate, it it, it absolutely does. I mean, if you are eating all the wrong foods and and you know you're toxic and loaded with heavy metals and eating GMOs and all that kind of stuff, you kind of don't have the potential to actually be something else, to actually uh, serve, to be of service. Um, and it's no wonder that in that kind of state you'll kind of end up in a ball on the couch just watching Netflix. You know, it's kind of like you you see this the 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 state of the world and it's like your your machine, if I could say that, or your body or your state of being, you don't have the potential to pull yourself out of that. Um, so one of the, the, the first stages is to really look at where this negative feeling is coming from. You know, it is very normal to look at the state of the world and, and see that it's a terrible place and get kind of depressed about it. But to dwell on that, to sink into this black hole, that's not normal. Um, Elliot mentioned at the top of the show, you know, it, it's like you can use this as um, an impetus to become something better. So I think um, looking at your own state uh, and, and figuring out where, you know, is, does your brain have the potential to make changes uh, or are you in a state, are you locked into this state? Uh, that's really uh, fundamental to kind of making it out of this, this, uh, this negative state. Well, and a lot of times everything pushes against that, right? So we have these unrealistic expectations about how the world should be or how we should be or how should people should be, and then reality comes in and it can be shocking and jarring mm. and 
unnerving and like you said force you to the couch you know eating bonbons watching tv like i just don't want to deal with it i just don't want to deal with it but the more that you see it you know as you all shared like reading thought every day you know there's just some days where you can you can handle it and and you see it and you really feel it on a very visceral level and then there's other days where it's like, okay, I'm overloaded. I just need to stand up and walk away and, and regroup mm-hmm. for a minute. But it's those mm-hmm. unrealistic expectations of how things externally should be that that cause that suffering. But the suffering is the biggest teacher, right? Yeah, that's it. that's really interesting that you bring that up uh, because there was a, there was a really interesting article on uh, saw it a little while ago um, called "Overcoming Depression Using Your Mind." And uh, he makes a couple of really good points in the, the article, but one of them he says is that you should break down your fantasies and crush them. And what he talks about is that gap between what our fantasies are, how we believe the world should be, the idyllic state, and reality. And that um, you, know, you, you can use your fantasies as motivation to try and make them come true. But um, if you're kind of living, if you're spending a lot of time kind of dissociating, just fantasizing about you know, whatever that might be. I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about, like, you know, most people when they mention fantasy instantly think of sexual fantasies, but I'm more talking about, like, you know, fantasies about telling your boss off and how things could be so much better at work or even, you know, the state of the world was better if people could actually see what was going on and make uh, make the proper changes. You know, to live in that fantasy world um, a lot of times can be uh, quite detrimental because there is such a gap between how you're fantasizing about the world and how it really is. And that can be the source of depression right there. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's that's the main source of suffering. Uh, like Jonathan, you mentioned the sort of difference between subjectivity and objectivity, like seeing things how you wish them to be or how you would like them to be, or on the other hand, seeing them objectively, so seeing them how they actually are, in reality and I think um, because we as a as a species I guess we're endowed with these subjective impressions these beliefs about ourselves and about the world and these expectations that we place on ourselves and we place on others how we want the world to be and I think that when reality doesn't match what we want it to be um, that causes as you said there's, there's such a large gap between our subjectivity and what is actually happening in the world. And I think that gap, um, it, it really it causes a lot of suffering and it causes a lot of, a, a lot of pain, a lot of emotional pain. Um, and I think what, what you can either do with that is, um, is you, can, you can take in that impression almost and you can actually change your way of viewing the world or change your impression um, so that it aligns with reality rather than opposes reality. Or, on the other hand, you can hide away and push reality out. Um, and I, th- I think also what one of the problems is, is I think when people come to the understanding that the world is not necessarily how they were brought up to believe that it is, um, what they try to do is they try to change it. Um, they... This this is this is a big thing. It's like, oh, how can we change the world? Um, how can we stop our politicians doing what they're doing? Um, how can we make other people see 
what is going on in the world? How can we show other people the truth? And I think this is this is really a big obstacle that a lot of people come up against. Um, and I think um, the 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 most productive and best way to go about this is to to sort of um, come to the understanding that we are not here to change anything. Um, we quite quite frankly can't change the world. Um, and perhaps one of our purposes here on Earth is simply to be an active observer, to basically take down, note what happens in the world and see it as it is, rather than trying to change that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's a deeper level of sort of peace and acceptance that can come with that understanding. And it's not something that happens overnight but it's something that you can gradually work towards and progress towards this 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 um this way of perceiving reality and and you know not trying to make those changes mhm yeah it kind of comes down to that that uh saying of um gandhi where he said be the change you want to see in the world you know don't go out there and try and fix the world fix yourself you know like one example is you know i wish people weren't so mean you know, well, you can't place that expectation on other people. Everybody is a free will universe. Everybody is going to do what they're going to do. But if you see that, you know, people are, if you perceive that people are mean, then don't be mean yourself if that's something that you want to change. Yeah. Yeah, living by example. Mm. Modeling that behavior for others. Yeah, one thing that was interesting in that article that you uh, quoted, Doug, about overcoming depression using your mind, Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to share here because it really resonated with what we're talking about. Um, The general rule of fantasy with no downsides equals a reality with no benefits. Whenever you find Mm -hmm. yourself in a reality with no benefits to you, you'll feel unfulfilled with your life. You run the risk of creating fantasies and disassociating from your self-awareness. You'll experience low dopamine and serotonin levels in the brain as a result and an imbalance in your brain chemistry. Mm. That brings me to uh, the idea of what you can do on your own. I mean, I want to get more into the uh, the kind of larger picture thing of this, but I, I wonder if we could touch for a moment on the the physical, mental, kind of chemical aspects of, of what influences this type of thinking. Um, and, uh, excuse me, I get kind of a frog in my throat today, but uh, neurotransmitters, you know, talking about uh, things like dopamine, uh, GABA, um, which I think is gamma aminobutyric acid, um, and serotonin, uh, and how those affect how your brain works, uh, which ultimately mm-hmm. affects, you know, how you, how you look at things day to day. And it's, uh, uh, I guess trying to put what I think into words here that there, you know, we, we have, we each have kind of a spirit essence or a soul essence, uh, a way of being that, uh, that may or may not change throughout our lives. Um, However, uh, you know, our thoughts appear to be, anyway, uh, processed, you know, through our our brain. So our our brain is kind of what sends the signals, you know, throughout the body 
um, and uh, the, the thoughts are affected by how the body operates. Um, so I'm trying not to get too vague with this, but you know, nobody knows essentially where thoughts occur. You know, do they do they even occur in a in a where kind of place? Um, however, uh, it's been shown, and I think everybody would agree, based on their own experience, that when your body is out of whack, you are less able to think clearly, and so there is some mm-hmm. kind of correlation there. Um, and I know for myself, uh, in the past when I've struggled with, uh, you know, periods of, of depression or feeling down that, uh, changing the diet, uh, cutting out things that are inflammatory and, um, you know, supplementing neurotransmitters, like you can take the amino acids, uh, L-tyrosine, uh, is a precursor for dopamine. Uh, L-theanine is a precursor for GABA. And uh, 5-HTP, which is hydroxytryptophan, is a, is a precursor for serotonin. Um, mm-hmm. These three things alone, if you can get into a regimen of trying those out for, for a period of time, I think that you'll find that uh, in conjunction with the change in your diet, cutting out inflammatory things, um, that you are slowly able to think more clearly and even feel more of these things like uh, inspiration and, and wonder at the world. So we, we've talked in the past about how um, one of the markers of depression is this idea that nothing is interesting, nothing is fascinating, I just feel blah. Um, <clears throat> but I can tell you from my own personal experience that once the body and the mind uh, physically, chemically are brought back into line, back into optimal functioning, that access to that state of mind uh, is actually, it becomes easier. Um, and at that point, then you can you can find more inspiration and things because you're more uh, capable of, of processing that um, because, you know, I, I don't know if everybody's had this experience or not, but if you're feeling out of whack and, you know, let's say you spill your coffee, like, or you spill something onto your computer and you flip out, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I personally don't have a problem with extreme anger, but I have had episodes of it in the past. Um, but I also know other people that do, and the very slightest thing will just kind of set them off like a firework. Um, <clears throat> and I would be willing to bet that, uh, you know, I'm sure there are more more complex factors in play there, but uh, part of that is the chemical uh, balance within the body, within the brain of the hormones and neurotransmitters, which allow the signals um, to be passed, you know, more efficiently through the body. Um, <clears throat> so, like I said, it's more complex than just that, but that is uh, an integral aspect, uh, is bringing the body into line um, when your brain is part of your body so that you can function in a more optimal way uh, and allow yourself to uh, think in a more optimal way. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it, it, it kind of comes, you know, I, I kind of look at it like um, those, you know, just being able to to have that um cognitive dissonance, you know, looking at the state of the world and realizing that there's something wrong with it, not being just one of those people who posts food pictures on Instagram, you know, like that there's actually more going on here and not being satisfied. It's kind of like almost that's, that's like a, a soul, like your soul calling out to you, you know, and it kind of comes back to the idea of, um, you know, getting your body into, into a more idyllic state. Um, it, it's, it's this idea of the body as a receiving instrument. 
you know, how, a, how able are you to actually get those signals from something higher, you know, something higher in yourself? Um, you know, it, it, all these, the, the, the low uh, dopamine, low uh, serotonin, all those sorts of things are kind of just like, you know, in, indicative of the state of your body. And, you know, how, how well are you able to get those signals and actually do something with them? Or are you just in such a state, is your body in such a state that you get those, um, those signals and they, they just cause more depression? Um, so, yeah, I think, like you're saying, Jonathan, like changing the diet, um, supplementing with these, uh, these neurotransmitters if, uh, or precursors to neurotransmitters, um, you know, doing, taking these proactive steps to kind of getting yourself into a better position to be um, able to do something with these negative feelings. Yeah, and I think that people would be shocked uh, to find out the results, you know, once you actually give it a try. And I know a lot of mm-hmm. our listeners have our, and either have already or are in the process of changing their diet. And uh, I've tried to be honest about this in the past, too, on the show, that I'm, <clears throat> I'm not a, a diet saint, you know. <laughs> uh, I, oh. I would like to be, uh, and I work towards that, but... Uh, you know, I, I backslide uh, from time to time and have sugar or dairy or things like that. And it, without fail, I notice that when it happens, um, my my brain function, my emotional state um, goes down right away. Um, mm-hmm. Things, Small things bother me more. Um, interesting things are harder to be interested in. Uh, motivation is lacking. Uh, and that is a, uh, a result of a, a suboptimal vehicle if you want to be kind of technical about it mm. yeah and it's also recognizing that you're going to have bad days i mean even even if you are a diet saint and you're doing everything right you know your your body is going to be going through a process of detoxification so things are are, are going to come up um there's a lot of emotions that are stored in the body we've covered this a lot on, on past shows that you know need to be worked through so uh the other the other aspect of this is just not to be discouraged you know, that if you are taking the right steps and, and you know that you're kind of on the right uh, path, you're taking in the raw materials that your body needs in order to function in an optimal way and avoiding the things that, that, are, um, uh, that are negative that are going to stand in your way, um, then just be accepting of, of the fact that it's going to be a bit of a bumpy road. Um, this is not just completely smooth sailing. You don't just get on the ketogenic diet and suddenly everything's roses. You know, it does take some time to adjust. It does take some time to for your body to kind of switch over into a different mode. And uh, even once it does, you're gonna you're gonna have some setbacks. So, uh, you know, having a pop, proper perspective on this, as much as you know, making these changes will enable you to have a proper perspective. Um, you know, you have to kind of mentally realize these sorts of things as well, and realize that you're gonna you're gonna have some setbacks. Yeah, it's really also, uh, really Im- important to understand also is that there are forces working against us, um, mm. and that spiritually, um, psychologically, and nutritionally, you know, mm-hmm. um, the same way that we're, you know, attacked psychically, um, you know, we're conditioned by the media and we're fed lies every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the same goes for nutrition. And... It, 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 in, in some in some way it, it benefits the people who 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 continually propagate the lies and want to keep 
uh, or aim to keep humanity sort of locked in this illusion um, mm. for their own benefit. It, it it also benefits them to keep us nutritionally deficient because if our brains aren't working properly and we can't regulate our emotions, then one, we're not going to be able to see through the lies. And two, mm-hmm. we're not actually going to be able to form real human connections to, to you know, to work towards what, what could be called a proper community, um, mm-hmm. you know, learning how to, how to become functional human beings because that's really what we need to do to start off with. Um, and mm-hmm. that's not even on on an esoteric level. On a basic level, what we really need to do is learn how to be functionally human in the real sense of the word, and to mm-hmm. regulate our emotions in order to 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 form real bonds with other human beings. And if we manage to do that, then um, that really wouldn't benefit the powers that be, because the chances are we may form communities and actually stand up against what's happening as a as a collective you know mm-hmm. um so so it, it's almost like we're being attacked on all levels and we have to acknowledge mm-hmm. that um to actually do anything about it yeah it's you're, you're going through the inertia that's that's naturally present you know it once somebody makes this kind of decision to to better themselves to see the world as it is yeah, you, you are going to come up against some resistance for sure because the entire world is going in the other direction. Um, so, yeah, I think connecting with other people is a major step in that because you, you can't do this alone. You know, you do have to kind of hook up with a network with people who have the same values and goals as you do. Um, you know, Moraviev talks about in, in his uh, Gnosis trilogy about uh, this idea of the general law. You know, so anybody who, who starts to make uh, moves in the direction of run, that run counter to the, uh, the the overall inertia of the world are instantly there's there's resistance brought up against them, and you know it seems like a lot of times the harder you work the more resistance you encounter, and it's kind of like it's almost like being tested right like how serious are you about this you know how mm-hmm. how much do you really want to to make these changes what are you willing to give up what are you willing to willing to reevaluate. You know, it, it's kind of like, well, you know, I'll change my diet, but I, I still want to eat bread on the weekends. Well, you know, you're gonna you, you're gonna encounter some problems there. You know, so it, it 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 it's I don't know. Just bringing in this idea of the general law, it's a more esoteric idea, but and we can look at it this way, or we can look at it just as the uh, you know the the resistances that you're going to come up against in your life. You know, it could be your family, it could be your job, it could be your friends. You know, and all all of these things, um, you know, you need to kind of be aware of and 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 you know just be determined to kind of work through. Yeah, that makes me think too of uh, uh, you know what Gurdjieff talks about uh, choosing your suffering, and I know you guys mm-hmm. on the Sunday show uh, talked a little bit about how you know life is is suffering, um, mm-hmm. and part of the uh, the teachings that Gurdjieff put out uh, indicated that you, after a certain point of development, um, after a certain amount of self-work, can actually have the option to choose your suffering, which is better Mm -hmm. than not choosing your suffering, um, because when when you're not able to choose uh, what comes your way, and now obviously there are things that come your way that you have no control over, and that's life, Um, but there are also other things where when you just continually suffer and are battered um, by things that are coming at you, then you have no choice over that. 
um, <clears throat> it can be much more uh, debilitating. You know, you feel beaten mm-hmm. down. Um, you you can't uh, recover, um, and you have a very hard time extracting lessons from those experiences. But mm-hmm. when you, <clears throat> you know, if I say, for instance, um, I choose to do some work uh, to attempt to uh, disintegrate um, my my false personality, kind of like Dabrowski talks about, um, you know, that we have this personality that's been built up. And this is not just Dabrowski. This has been through many different kind of teachings uh, throughout the years um, that we have this, this, this person who we think that we are, um, but we are actually not, you know, kind of like your thoughts are not your own necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we lie to ourselves on a continual basis, oftentimes without even realizing it. Um, and if you make the choice to disintegrate that false personality, strip it bare, you know, and bring it down to the core um, and then uh, work on building yourself back up with an aim in mind, um, that process is extremely difficult. And it, it mm-hmm. causes a lot of suffering, but that is suffering that you then choose. And when you make that mm-hmm. choice, uh, you're able to, as I said, you know, extract lessons from it um, in a much more effective way. So you can say, you know, I, I'm going to experience this, I'm going to observe it, and uh, and as it happens, I'm going to uh, to draw lessons from it. Um, and every mm-hmm. time you learn from a new lesson, you gain new knowledge, which then makes you much more effective uh, in the future. And that may seem kind of like a no-brainer, like, you know, mm-hmm. being Captain Obvious here, that when you learn, you get new knowledge. But when you really embrace that idea, um, it's uh, it's extremely powerful. Um, the, the problem, so to speak, it's not really a problem, but it feels like a problem is that it doesn't come without suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's it, a really good point. It kind of uh, comes back to the importance of having um, this sort of overarching aim because um, sacrificing your illusions is, is not a simple process. And as you guys have just mentioned, um, it, it causes significant pain um, emotional pain. Now, whether this is um, looking at the outside world and, um, for instance, coming to the realization that everything you've believed about the world is a lie, or or if it's um, got to do with your personal relationships, you know, say uh, you're playing out a certain dynamic or you're, you're covertly manipulating in some way that you're not necessarily conscious of, um, mm. when you choose you consciously choose to sacrifice your illusions to see the truth, um, it is very painful emotionally. It causes you pain. And so we often shy away from that. And I think this is one of the main reasons why um, humans as a sort of collective, um, the majority of humans anyway, they choose to live in an illusion because I think I think naturally we um, we tend towards comfort, you know, and mm-hmm. and and seeing the truth is usually very uncomfortable. And so, if you can formulate um, a, a sort of deeper aim, um, if if you can sort of dedicate yourself or your um, ideals to the idea of truth, of seeing the truth, and essentially living by those principles, um, then I think that is very important um, to be able to sort of overcome 
the pain that seeing the truth causes. If, if that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think bringing up the idea of an aim is, 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 is that is like kind of fundamental. Um, you know, having an aim. As long as you don't have an aim, you are just kind of floundering. You're just kind of uh, wandering around and, and being depressed about the state of the world. Um, but if once you actually formulate an aim and like, I'm going to do something about this, even if it's something as simple as I'm going to change my diet, which, okay, granted, that's not totally simple, but, uh, you know, just deciding that, you know, I'm going to do something about the state that I find myself in. Um, I mean, that comes right back to choosing your suffering. You know, as long as you're just kind of floundering, you might be suffering because you didn't get enough likes on Facebook. But, you know, <laughs> if you actually choose an aim, then the suffering comes in, in context of that aim. And what, what kind of ends up standing in your way is what you suffer over. And, and that is a more progressive um, way of dealing with it just because then, you know, you, you see your suffering and you, and you figure out what you're going to do about that. You know, what's standing in the way of my aim? What can, can bring me closer to my aim? So I think I, that comes back to what uh, the listener was talking about um, uh, as far as having purpose, you know, purpose. I mean, we, we could say that purpose and aim are kind of the same thing. So it's kind of like, you know, you have to, you have to make a decision that you're going to do something about this and start making steps. And that aim obviously is going to change. I mean, it might be very simple to begin with, or you might have a very lofty aim and, you know, you have kind of smaller aims that are, are kind of signposts along the road. Um, and that, you know, well, before I become a super being, I'm going to have to change my diet. So, you know, then you've got a smaller aim. And, uh, and yeah, those will change along the way. So I think, yeah, formulating a, like a plan, like some, some way that you're going to tackle this is, is part, of, uh, part of getting through it. Yeah, that's definitely very important. Uh, it, it makes me think of an analogy that I heard once that uh, was really helpful for me, uh, the difference between an aim and a goal. Um, and uh, not to use a, a sports analogy, but I will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so like so If you're playing uh, soccer, which you know we in the West call it soccer or football, depending on your preference, um, that your, your aim is to get the, bo- the ball into the net, right, past the goalie. Um, your goal is is the ball in the net, and so the, when you when you focus on a on a goal, um, you're kind of in a way disregarding the entire process of getting from the origin to the destination. The aim is much more affected on, or much more um, pertinent to the process itself, and so your 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 aim is your path to the goal. And so when you have a concrete aim, you might get knocked off once in a while but you can reorient yourself. You can correct your path and, you know, reestablish the, uh, the, the aim, what it is and where you're going. Um, so just kind of the difference between saying my goal is um, when you think that way, you're kind of thinking in, in future terms and disregarding mm. the present. But when you have an aim, <clears throat> you're very focused on the present, on what's happening right now and uh, where that aim is headed, what you're aiming towards, so to speak. So it may seem kind of pedantic, but um, that helped me think about it uh, quite a bit. But it, no, it's a, kind of stay, a good point, yeah. There, there's another yeah, analogy by, um, by, an, by a guy called Alan Watts. And, um, and the way that he phrases it is he, um, he asks 
the listener a question. He says, okay, so when you go to, when you listen to a piece of music, do you fast forward it right to the end to say that you've listened to the piece of music? Or do you focus on the process of mm. of the music as as time goes on, if that makes sense? Or mm -hmm. he, he applied it to a dance as well. So when say <laughs> I'm not sure if any of you guys go to the ballet, um, but say if you get a ticket to the show uh, to go see a ballet live or a dance or something, or when you go see some live music, um, do you do, do you just um, sort of like disregard the whole process of the dance and just look at the last bit or is 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 the um is this sort of um richness coming from watching watching it as it as it as it progresses and i think it's what his point was was that i i, I guess it kind of relates to what you were just saying jonathan about a goal and an aim so how how the process it's it's through the process that we um that we gather the most insight, you know, and we, we gain the most from, rather than the end goal. I think that's a What's good point, Elliot, but I'll tell you, if I'm sitting in the ballet, I'm usually waiting for it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Elliot, and for our listeners, um, there was a good article on SOT about healthy ways to increase your brain's dopamine levels. And there's a little mm -hmm. quote from Psychology Today which um, kind of goes along with what you're saying. It says that dopamine is a transmitter that helps control the brain's reward and pleasure centers. Dopamine also helps regulate movement and an emotional response. And it enables us not only to see rewards, but to take action to move towards them. Mm. And so it's, it is that the brain working on our behalf, you know, they have 10 ways to increase your dopamine levels, and I won't go into all of them. Some of them are, are pertinent. Having a, a checklist of small tasks, just like what you were saying, Doug, you know, all these different little aims. Mm -hmm. um, creating things, you know, uh, singers, poets, dancers, trying something like arts or crafts, auto repair, drawing, you know, having that that creative energy or what they call the flow you know when you're working on a, on a project even if it's a writing project or even working on uh, a radio show right something that it truly inspires you and it gets you into that flow state where time and space seem to stand still uh, they mm. talk about exercise uh writing and then as jonathan mentioned senior detoxing you know, so getting toxins out of your system, listening to music, meditating, and taking supplements. So um, I found that article really helpful because, you know, a lot of times you get questions from people, can I change my brain? And it's like, that's that's a heavy place to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so it starting, comes back starting to... Small, starting small, yeah. baby steps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it does it comes it comes back to kind of looking at the state uh that you're in, the your where your body's at. You know, if you are um kind of a sugar burner and are constantly eating starch and sugar to kind of uh in order to fuel you, then you're kind of uh a slave to that dopamine cycle. 
you know, you get your, you get your big hearty helping of bread and, uh, you feel that up and you're feeling good for a while. And then, you know, cause you had that dopamine release and then, uh, you know, you're inevitably going to crash. So if you're constantly a slave to that cycle or whatever it might be, you know, uh, you know, checking Facebook is apparently is, a is kind of the more modern, <laughs> the modern, uh, you know, dopamine hit that people get or checking their email inbox or whatever. If you're, as long as you're a slave to that cycle, there's not, there's not really a, a, a concrete way of, of escaping it. And no matter what your aim is, um, you're going to find yourself derailed constantly. So, uh, yeah, looking into these, these things and what it is that's kind of giving you these little hits all over the place and maybe getting yourself into a state where you're more riding a curve rather than, uh, you know, taking these massive spikes and then drops. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's another fundamental uh, aspect of all this. And not yeah. being caught in that, that relentless sense of being stuck in the past, or mm-hmm. in the future, but being in the mm-hmm. moment and doing what you can in that moment. I think especially for people in the West, you know, you see all this fascination with identifying with experiences in the past or what they're going to do in the future. And very few people have the ability to just sit in the moment and mm-hmm. kind of observe what's happening internally, right? Yeah. And, and and in meditation, you know, we, we hear now, especially with this whole new mindfulness meditation craze, it's like, oh, we'll just think good thoughts and focus on a river and all these things. But I think mm. really the deeper practice of meditation is sitting and feeling as those emotions come up, those doubts, those fears, mm-hmm. those ideas of being vulnerable or afraid. And, and, and mm-hmm. just sitting with those and observing them, not letting them hijack your brain. Yeah. yeah I think that's yep. a good point for sure. Thinking about the process, and Doug, you kind of mentioned this earlier too, that um, it's important to remember that while, so like I'm coming at this from a perspective of, let's say, like our, our listener had written in, uh, you're at a point where you feel kind of uh, purposeless um, and possibly depressed, possibly not, but definitely some kind of malaise, um, you know, lack of inspiration, um, lack of fascination, uh, things like that. That getting back to a point uh, where you have that fire kind of burning again uh, is a process. It's not something that you can just turn on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I... <laughs> I, I desperately wish that it were <laughs> because there's many times where where I, I wouldn't like, oh, I just want to turn on inspiration right now, but it doesn't happen that way. Um, you have to approach it kind of like, you know, almost like you're uh, in a garden, you know, and you are tilling the soil, uh, getting it ready, removing the rocks and the roots from the soil and preparing it for the seeds, which then still have to grow. And then as they're growing, you have to take care of the plants um, so not to get too metaphorical, but it, it is that kind of a process. Um, <clears throat> and I wanted to to ask you guys this this question, but I'll I'll start first, um, just to kind of uh, be sort of like open and vulnerable for a moment. One one of my personal uh, issues that I struggle with is um, dissociating on television shows, and mm-hmm. be it like Netflix <laughs> or, or Amazon Prime, um, I'll get into a show. 
and, you know, I'll be watching it. I do work on the computer, so there are times where I have to concentrate. There are other times where I'm doing kind of monotonous things, and I can put something off to the side and let it play. And uh, I'll come to a point where I realize that I don't even like this show. You know, I, and nothing, <laughs> it's, it's totally it's totally pointless. Uh, it, it's not even really that, but it's actually, like, poisonous for my mind because if <clears throat> it's totally based in, like, reptilian brain thinking you know it's it's just about like uh empty vapid things um and maybe something interested me when i started watching the show but now i realize that I, i'm i'm getting absolutely nothing from this and then this weird ocd thing kicks in where like i have to finish it you know <laughs> I, 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 I gotta finish season five even though i don't care about it i gotta see what happens and that is is total it's, it's total bullshit, but the, the the problem that arises from that, and I actually just struggled with this recently. I'm, like, coming out of this phase right now where I, I was stuck in that mode of, like, dissociating on television shows, um, realizing that it makes me less able to think about things that have real meat to them, um, you know, mm -hmm. real spiritual matters, real psychological matters, um, matters of the soul or of the mind, Um that <clears throat> when I'm in that state of dissociation, I have a much, much harder time, uh, you know, uh, thinking about, like I said, matters of the, of the spirit or of the soul. And coming out of that, um, first step is basically to turn off those, sort of turn off the television, close the Netflix window, get it, it you know, out, away from the front of my eyes, um, and then begin this slow process of coming back to a point where I, I realize and remember the things that are truly fascinating to me, but it never happens overnight. Um, it's always a, a process that takes, you know, a, a week or a month or sometimes even a number of months until I slowly start to realize, that, okay, now my brain is working again. You know, now I'm, I'm realizing what's truly important. Um, and that's not to say never watch a movie or a TV show. Um, but I think mm -hmm. the, the point I'm trying to bring up is that when we get into this stage of chronic dissociation, um, that it it uh, it essentially dulls the 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 edge of the blade that is your mind, mm. um, and you cannot instantly sharpen a knife. Uh, it's a process. Mm. You have to go through different. You know, if you use that analogy, when you're sharpening a knife, you have to go through different grits <clears throat> on the uh, on the whetstone. Uh, you know, from rough to fine, uh, and you have to take it as a process. So when you're coming out of a of, of a, a mental place you know, a, with a real lack of inspiration or passion or any kind of uh, purpose, um, <clears throat> be kind to yourself and realize, okay, now I'm starting this process. I know where I want to get, um, you know, but I know that it's not going to happen right away, so I need to be a little bit patient, and I just need to keep my willpower in check uh, and, and work towards that, um, you know, that state that I would like to, to get back to. Uh, so that's my my weakness is, is TV shows, and I was going to ask you guys if you have had any any uh, similar experiences where you get into a, like a chronic kind of phase, you know, whether it's you know eating something that's bad for you or whatever it might be. Well, I can definitely relate to the TV show thing, Jonathan. What happens to me is though I find that I watch things and I'm searching for this deeper meaning that's just not there. So I start asking questions out yeah. loud, and my husband will turn to me and say, it's just a TV show. 
know, like, oh, duh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I I I tend to struggle with uh, procrastination in various forms. You know, whether it's just playing free cell on the computer or yeah, watching Netflix or something along those lines. And the one thing that that I I noticed, and I think that what you said, Jonathan, is absolutely right. Like you do kind of have to, you know, be aware of the fact that you are just kind of you know looking for this kind of dopamine hit and 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 turning to these things as a means of dissociation or distraction. Being kind of empathetic with yourself, like like have have some kind of self compassion there, and and realize that you know sometimes you do need to just kind of take a break and and do these things, but that it does get to a point of being more uh, chronic. And that there's something deeper going on there and that maybe you're trying to avoid something, um, whether it be the bigger picture of reality or whatever the case may be. Um, But I think also it's important to point out that uh, when you do make some of these changes that we've been talking about, like dietary changes, I noticed for myself um, changing to the keto diet and then again um, when I started taking the iodine, um, I definitely noticed that the tendency to procrastinate was lessened uh, considerably. So, you know, I would have a, a, whereas before I would have a kind of a list of things that I had to do and I'd kind of be avoiding them and doing other things and checking my email and, you know, checking SOD or something like that and justifying to myself that what I was doing was actually important, but, you know, really avoiding kind of the main task. Um, and, you know, there would be all this suffering around that and, kind of, oh, I should be doing this and I'm not doing it and, oh, it's time to get down to work and kind of forcing myself to get get on task. Uh, once I made those changes, that kind of stuff didn't really seem to happen, at least not as often. It would kind of be like, you know, I'd have this list and I'd kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, I can knock that off the list and I'd, I'd kind of get on there and do that. And, you know, it might might still kind of take the form of dealing with the smaller things on the list first before kind of getting down to the big, the big issues. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I found that, like, it's almost like willpower um, increased somewhat by not being kind of a slave to that dopamine cycle that we were talking about before, that, um, you know, you weren't necessarily uh, distracting yourself by looking for that kind of attention hit. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I, I feel like uh, there was a, definitely a change in me as far as that was concerned. I don't know if any of you guys have maybe experienced that as well. I've definitely experienced that. Uh, just what you mentioned about the list and you get to that thing and you're like, I really don't want to do that. I, I recently yeah. had that with dealing with taxes, <laughs> which oh, it's God, on yeah. my list and I need to do it. And I'm, it's like when I come to that topic on the list, everything in my body is like shut down. You know, it's like the scene <laughs> from the matrix where Morpheus says it's that feeling you get when you pay your taxes, you know? So I, what what I did in that moment is like, why are you so resistant to do this? You know, why mm-hmm. why do you not want to move forward on this task? And I found that uh, kind of overcoming the fear of it, just doing it, you know, whatever. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna deal with it right now. And then you deal with it, and you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad, you know. It, it really comes for me. It was that weird kind of fear about it, that unknowing. I'm not good with those kinds of things. So maybe that's what it was, just not knowing how to proceed and having Mm. the fear of not knowing how to proceed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think think a lot of times, too, there's a... Oh, go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, I was just going to say that, uh, yeah, I I concur. The negative anticipation of something is often uh, many times worse you know, than the thing itself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I was going to say something similar, and and I find that a lot of times, um, you know, the the little resistances are actually maybe reflective of a of a bigger thing. You know, I'm I'm resistant to take these uh, these steps because the end result is so unknown, or might be kind of scary. You know, maybe especially if you're making major changes in your life, uh, you know, making those major changes can be quite quite terrifying. Um, and then you know, all the little steps along the way suddenly become a bigger chore because. In your mind, you realize that the, the, the big end goal is maybe a bit scary. Or maybe it'll seem unreachable, like, the, like it's so overwhelming, this major task that you have to do, that suddenly you can't really see the smaller steps that you need to take to get there. So that, that can be a big, a big issue as well. I, th- I think um, there's a lot to learn from, um, from witnessing these things in yourself. Like they, it doesn't even have to apply to these big challenges. Like um, in my own experience, I'm very reluctant to um, pay my bills. <laughs> like, I don't leave them too late. But what it is, it's uh, it's like we have to pay them online. So I have to get my bank card and everything like that, and you know, fill in the details and everything. But um, but every time it comes to that time in the month, I feel this distinct feeling of almost repulsion from my computer. Like, I know that it's something that I need to do, but I just don't want to do it. And that could easily be sort of, you know, talked away. But I think what it actually kind of comes down to is to some to some extent, I'm trying to hoard my money. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> something so basic like that. And that's probably indicative of, of, of a deeper aspect of my personality. But, mm. um, but actually pushing through and just, saying, you know what, I'm going to pay my bills, and actually paying them, it's all right. It's not the end of the world. It's actually a lot easier than, um, you know, than than my initial feeling was about mm. it, you know. So I think there's a, there's a lot to learn, even from these small things that perhaps we have a, a sort of negative or avoidant reaction to. Um, we can actually choose to learn a lot about ourselves um, mm-hmm. by observing those tendencies. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that procrastination is a is a good example, you know, of, of what we're talking about. Um, it's uh, it may, <clears throat> I, I guess, I'm drawing a parallel in my mind between that and sort of a, a passive aggressive sense of uh, entitlement. Like, no offense, Elliot, because mm-hmm. I have the same thing. Like, I have the exact same thing, and it's it's uh, it's occurred to me in the past when I get those feelings that I'm like, you know. It start being a little bit self-critical, and I'm like, what do I think that I'm too good, you know, to pay this bill, or <laughs> some, somehow the, uh, you know, the utility that company that employs evil, and you don't want to pay it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a really right. good point, though, Jonathan. <laughs> you know, and just realizing that uh, also, you know, the the potential negative future consequences. I mean, bills specifically are a really concrete example of something that if you do ignore them, you know, they're going to pile up and then you're screwed. You're going to be in debt. Uh, and yeah. it's going to be much, much worse in the future. Um, so it, I've, I've done that in the past too with cleaning. I'm <clears throat> much better now than I used to be, but uh, uh, it definitely used to be something where like the dust was, you know, piling up and the, and the cat and the dog hair <laughs> yeah. piling up in the corners. You know, and I just don't want to deal with that. And then, you know, two months later, it's my house is filthy. And I'm like, uh, 
you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's um, I don't know. It's almost like like I said, it's kind of like a passive aggressive thing in myself. When I really analyze that, I feel like somehow I'm I I'm deserving of not having to deal with that, or like I'm I'm better than that somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once that realization hits me, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm being really cocky. I'm, I'm being kind of an asshole here. So let's just clean <laughs> and get it over it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that really applies to larger, you know, larger issues like we were talking about that the listener wrote in about feeling, you know, inspiration or, or purpose in your life. That's, that's not necessarily uh, something as simple as, is cleaning, but um, it's, it strikes me that it, it can be it can be affected by by that. Um, <clears throat> you know, there sometimes uh, for me, I, I'll find that my mood uh, completely changes when. So, like, I work out of my house, right? And sometimes um, I'll go, you know, two or three days without like cleaning up and being presentable. Just throw clothes on in the morning and start working. And uh, start to feel kind of down, uh, lack of motivation, things like that. And so just cleaning up, you know, shaving, uh, putting on some clean clothes, making myself presentable as if somebody were going to come over or I was going to go to a meeting or something like that. All of a sudden my mood elevates and I'm like, God, I can do stuff now. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it just takes, uh, you know, you're not going to change your entire life this way, but you can affect small parts of it. By, by just applying some attention to small areas within your life. You know, clean yourself, uh, clean your house, do the dishes. Um, do, to just pick a task uh, to go at and get it done. And then when you fulfill, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that needed to be done, you'll find that there's, there's sort of a, a reward there. And I don't know if that's, you know, necessarily the, the dopamine hit itself uh, or if it's just the, uh, you know, the, like, Doug, you had mentioned earlier that when you when you quit procrastinating, you feel an increase in willpower, and that enables you mm-hmm. to not procrastinate further. I think you know mm-hmm. applying action uh, to certain things is kind of like applying your knowledge. Like you can say until the day is long that I intellectually understand, you know, that applying action to my to my life is going to help. Um, but until you actually do it, until you actually carry out that action. Uh, it doesn't really become concrete. So there's kind of like there's this intellectual knowledge uh, and um, understanding, which is not true understanding, that doesn't crystallize until you actually complete the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that happens with, with larger life choices as well. You know, <clears throat> so like our, our listener said that, you know, they felt like they had maybe made a mistake and were wondering, you know, should they have left medical school or what's going on? Like, I don't really have a purpose right now. Um you know, maybe beginning to change small things and getting into patterns of maintaining your immediate environment. <clears throat> it's like uh, Gurdjieff had this word, uh, obivatel, which <clears throat> maybe you guys can help. I don't remember. Is that is that a word that he invented, or is that an actual, like, uh, a Russian word? I, I don't remember. I think it's a real word. Yeah, and okay. I, think it, I think it basically means, like, uh, worker or, like, a peasant or, or something along those lines. Yeah. The idea being that being a good obi means that you you may be interested in sort of, quote-unquote, higher matters of the spirit or of the soul, but um, you take care of your daily responsibilities first. 
You know, you mm-hmm. pay your bills, you clean your environment, uh, you help the people around you. Uh, you are a good uh, a worker, citizen, person, you know, first. And once you create that foundation and um, foster that environment, uh, that that allows your mind uh, to come into a, a space that reflects that. You know, your physical mm-hmm. environment reflects your mind and vice versa. So if everything is dirty and cluttered around you, your mind is going to be cluttered and dirty. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just... It, it occurs to me that that might be a, a way to approach, you know, regaining the sense of purpose or inspiration slowly uh, is to begin mm-hmm. changing the environment piece by piece. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a very good point. And it brings to mind kind of the, uh, you know, the guy who who's lofty and spiritual, you know, smokes DMT on the weekends or whatever. But, you know, he's barely paying his rent. He's always like, you know, just kind of a, a, a tramp. Uh, that's that's a term that Ospensky used, the uh, the idea of a tramp, a guy who just kind of wanders around, has to leech off other people to get his uh, get his life just to be able to, to live properly. Um, it, it, yeah, it kind of brings to mind that whole idea that, uh, you know, you you kind of have to be on a level. Like Gurdjieff said that you had to be at the level of the Abhidhatel just to begin spiritual work. Um, And the idea there is that if your life isn't in order and you're struggling to pay your bills and you can't, you know, you can't, then how can you possibly concentrate on anything, um, you know, more uh, esoteric? Like you need to be in a position where, um, there's no major crises in your in your kind of day-to-day life. You're paying your bills, um, you know, you're eating, you've got ma- meals on the table when you need to, you're even taking care of those in your life, whether that be like children, uh, you know, a spouse or, you know, pets, like anything, you're, you're actually, you're just, you're capable of, of living your life, um, getting things done that need to get done. And then, then from there, okay, now you can kind of concentrate on the more, uh, the more esoteric kind of stuff. Um, because yeah, if you if, if you've got the bill collectors knocking at the door, you know it doesn't matter how much you're meditating, uh, you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna have a crash. Well, I'd like to add to what you guys said about the other end of the spectrum, uh, in particular the cleaning and the paying the bills and whatnot. There may be some of our listeners, and this is true of myself, that keep ourselves overly busy and overly clean and um, to the point of being OCD about it. And it is interesting because I read an article a couple of years ago on thought about the disease of being busy. And the author Mm. said, you know, when did we forget that we are human beings and not human doings? And it just talks about life, like, uh, Doug, you were saying parenting and, you know, how side of the spectrum is that you're so busy all the time cleaning Mm. or organizing or running the kids here, doing that, that we forget on how to sit with ourselves and sit with people that we love and form community because we're just so maxed all the time. And I think that that's a way that people shut out reality as well. You know, yeah, that they absolutely. just keep them, that, like, like uh, Gurdjieff talked about, the overactive moving center and just not even having a moment to sit down and regroup and really think about anything more than being, doing, doing, doing. I got to do this. I got to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The author in this article talks about how this disease of, being busy, and let's call it that, a disease, 
um, you know, it's spiritually destructive to our health and well-being. It saps our ability to be fully present with those we love the most in our families and keeps us from forming the kind of community that we so desperately crave. So it's almost like mm-hmm. running away from what you really need and want. So I wanted to offer that perspective to listeners who who may be suffering from that because you can have two sides of the spectrum. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny when you look at people like that, you can kind of get, you know, almost, I I have known people in my life like that, and I can kind of get almost envious at some point where it's like, look at how much they're getting done. You know, look at that. They're always moving. They're always busy with something. But, you know, it, it, the question is, are they, are they taking time to actually look at the bigger picture? And since, we're, um, since we're talking about inspiration and community, um, and getting back to what the listener said about, um, about feelings of loneliness in the world, um, I think what's very important is, um, is to, to, to get in contact with other people who are of like mind because, you know, uh, seeing the world for what it is um, and realizing that the majority of people around you um, simply cannot see, um, Mm. it can be very difficult for people and frankly quite lonely. Um, So I... It really is important to to do what you can to try and build relationships with others who see things as you do. And I mean, this is I think this is why our our forum is such an amazing thing, because mm-hmm. even though you're not speaking to people in real life, um, you you are speaking to real people who share the same views and who who you know who help each other to to see reality as it is. And I think that. It's such an enriching and fulfilling experience, and I think this is what most human beings really crave: um, is, is this close connection, this this real bond with others um, who share a similar perspective. And when you share the, or when you have a perspective of the world that is so different to everyone else, it you know it can it can feel very lonely. And even though, um, you you know, there are forums out there, I mean, we've got our own forum, and um, even though you're not speaking to them in real life, um, that doesn't mean that you won't get to meet people in real life eventually. It's Mm. just taking that first step, that first step of making the effort, and I guess this is actually doing something, and this can also um, act act as inspiration for people to actually change is by knowing that there are other people out there who feel the same and who see the same things as you do, and you're not alone in the world. And mm. you can form real bonds and real relationships with others, um, you know, who, who share the same perspective, and that can be very important for people. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. So, yeah, one of the things that was emphasized in that listener's letter was this sense of kind of loneliness, that, you know, he's he's aware of the world and the, the, the objective state of the world and how bad it is, and he's basically surrounded by people who would rather ignore it. Um, and, you know, even I'm sure a lot of people have had the, the experience of trying to talk about these things with people who seem like they're on the same page and then discovering that they're really not. 
and that you know you're you're kind of stepping on their corns, as uh, as Gurdjieff used to say, that you're actually making uh, making them uncomfortable. Um, so I I think yeah, finding people who are kind of on the same page is is fundamental, um, and that once you do kind of you know connect with these people maybe online. Um, you know, things change, and then, you know, certain people might end up coming into your life one-on-one who maybe are a little more uh, collinear, um, who do see things the same way that you do. So, yeah, I think I think that's a very good point, uh, point Elliot. Something else, something else kind of uh, comes to mind as we're talking about this, and this is maybe a little bit more esoteric but the uh i guess the idea of uh of duality uh you know this is if you've if you've ever read anything about you know uh alchemy and i don't really want to go there like too far but the the idea that um <clears throat> there is this uh existence of duality uh it's been referred to as the coexistence of opposites and so one thing is true, and the other thing is also true, even though they seem like they're um, opposing each other. And uh, that that leads me to mention the idea that, uh, you know, all is one. Um, and I, I don't want to get New Agey about this because I, I disagree with a lot of the, the New Age uh, principles. Um, <clears throat> like if any of you use Dr. Bronner's soaps, you know, it says all one huh. all over the bottle. You know that that kind of thing. Like, all is one, man. It's everything is the same. You know, we're all cool together. Um, the 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 problem with that is that it's part of a duality. Uh, all all is one, and at the same time, we are separate in this existence, in this reality. So we find ourselves manifested in these physical vehicles. Um, <clears throat> you know, with the self and the other, uh, and the universe around us. <clears throat> but like seeking out and looking for the connections that do exist that imply the oneness of everything, uh, I think can be a way to foster uh, empathy and compassion, which can also help in this drive towards having a purpose, having some kind of inspiration in your life. Um, And I hope that doesn't sound too, too self-helpy, but you know, Mm. it's, it has helped me in the past, you know, because I find that when I'm feeling down, uh, or feeling overwhelmed, I'm, it's, it's often uh, accompanied by a sense of isolation um, and, a, and a feeling of, of loneliness. Um, and like Elliot said, finding other people who have similar aims uh, or similar interests, and even if it's just online in a forum, um, you know, discussing topics with them, uh, can bring you into this sense of, of connection and discover that you're not a, a singular uh, you're not only a singular entity, like <clears throat> you, you are in this reality, in this current incarnation. And at the same time, there is this, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, kind of like a soul pool or a soul tree where there are people who have similar interests and are on the same uh, path as you. And so finding those people um, is essential. And in engaging with people who have the same interests, um, at least in my own life, has increased uh, a sense of empathy and compassion uh, for other people, you know. So if, if you come up against somebody who uh, is seemingly, you know, like, well, I just don't want to think about that. <clears throat> you know, like it reminds me of like there was a guy I used to work with, 
who I would always bring up stuff like that was happening overseas and say, have you seen this happening? And he says, I just don't think about that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how can you not? Um, but it, it occurred to me at a certain point that to have empathy and compassion for that person, like, and they, you know, everybody has free will. And so it's their choice to not do that. Um, so I can, instead of being dismissive and kind of, uh, angrily critical towards that idea, I can say, well, that's just a, that's, that's their thing. That's not my thing. My thing is to be, you know, interested in exploring this, exploring truth and learning as much as possible. And when you find other people that have that same interest, it bolsters your own. And it's kind of like a, um, uh, it it has a a magnifying effect. So I hope that that wasn't too vague. That kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Makes very good sense. Yeah, I didn't think it was vague at all. It's interesting connecting the whole, you know, we we are all one type uh, thing because I, I think that 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 is often um, actually a means of uh, of escaping reality of not really looking at specifically what's in front of you. Um, you know, this idea that you know this, this person, you know, if, if there's a person in, in in a person's life who's who's uh, you know psychopathic in some way or or mean, um, and you know, just kind of falling back on the whole, well, we are all one type idea, and it is kind of an avoidant. Um, approach to it without instead looking at it objectively and, and, and seeing the world for, for what it actually is. You know, it's like kind of like this doesn't matter um, because we're all one. It's, it, 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 it's, it's a tricky thing because, I mean, you know, chances are we are all one at some level. But it's, it's kind of like at the level that we're at right now, um, you, you know, you can't, you can't fall back on that idea. Of, of this oneness. It's kind of like you have to recognize that there are differences. There are people who are not, the vast majority of people are not going to be on the same path as you. So it, it's kind of recognizing that. And that there are um, some people who simply don't have humanity's best interests at heart. Right. Um, it's like there's that saying, uh, Laura Knight Yajik talks about it in one of her books. And she says, yeah, okay, like, um, okay, maybe we're all one to some extent, like on some level, on some deeper level. Yeah, we're all part of the same thing. We are all one. But, okay, like you can you can look at a crocodile and you can appreciate its crocodile-like features and say, wow, you know, that's a... That's such a crocodile-like crocodile, you know. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't go jump it. You wouldn't go jump in a pool with it, would you? And swim with it, you know. I, I guess so. This this comes back to sort of, um, you know, kind of lays emphasis on the fact that okay, like yeah, we're all one, perhaps, but that doesn't mean that I, you know, um, that I have to sort of um, engage in certain dynamics with people who don't necessarily have my best in, in interests at heart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good example. Well, so we've covered a number of topics today, and I hope that it's been uh, <clears throat> interesting for our listeners and uh, that we've been able to offer some ideas for for how to, you know, fight uh, depression in, in the modern world. It's It's hard. I mean, and like we've said, too, you don't necessarily always – even want to fight the depression, perhaps better just to understand it, um, you know, experience it uh, and, and glean uh, lessons from it, you know, pick it apart. Um, you don't always want to push away 
these negative states of mind because they are a natural result of the uh, the, the cognitive dissonance of, of being in the world that we're in. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I think that the overall point that, um, you know, when you see injustice uh, in the world, uh, when you see, uh, you know, people treating each other badly uh, or people taking advantage of each other or taking advantage of the planet, um, that, uh, the, you know, to to not shy away from it, to look it in the face uh, and do your best, uh, if possible, to, to utilize um, the, the feelings that you have as a, as a learning tool. Um, mm-hmm. So it's obviously easier said than done. Uh, it's not an instantaneous thing. Uh, it's a process, um, but it is possible. It's not impossible. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, for me, uh, you know, I'm not at any kind of, like, end goal. Uh, it would be totally foolish for me to say that, uh, it, but it is a, a process that I work on, uh, and I find that, you know, every day it goes back and forth. Some days are totally inspiring and um, really, you know, I'm awestruck at the things around me, and uh, and other days, you know, I couldn't give a crap, and it's just it's really hard <laughs> to drum up any kind of motivation, um, but that's just part that's part of the whole process and, and being comfortable with that understanding that you don't have to uh, stagnate. If you do feel stagnated, then, um, you know, there are ways to kind of pull yourself out of that, but it's not a, uh, you know, it's not required that you stay in that, in that place. So I guess mm-hmm. that's my two cents. Um, so let's, uh, we are coming up on the end of our time. Let's go to Zoya's uh, segment today. We have uh, at health segment for today. Uh, it's about 12 minutes. And when we come back from that, we will have a recipe for Schweinschaxe, which is a uh, traditional German dish, uh, braised pork knuckles. So mm-hmm. we'll go, yeah, getting a little fancy today. <laughs> <laughs> so here's Zoya, and we'll be back after this. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I would like to share with you some fascinating things about five rules of medicine and principles of intensive care that I learned during a lecture recently, and how these principles can be applied in our daily lives and used to navigate successfully the chaotic currents of a crazy and often downright depressing world. So, the first rule of medicine is do no harm. It's the most fundamental rule of any doctor, either a biped or quadruped animals. So, how can we apply it to our life? Well, It may sound obvious that we all have natural sense of self-preservation, meaning we want to self-harm or inflict harm on other friends and close ones unless we uh, we have some sort of pathology or we are a psychopath. And then all bets are off. But even people that are kind and have a conscience can still be incredibly stupid and do incredibly stupid things. And when I talk about stupid, I mean it in a definition of a third rule as described in the basic laws of human stupidity. It goes like this. A stupid person is a person who causes losses to another person or a group of persons while himself deriving no gain and even possibly incurring losses. But no worries, because this condition doesn't have to be permanent 
and can be easily fixed by making conscious effort uh, to be aware. Aware of what is happening in the world around us and developing emotional, social and situational awareness. Actually, reading SOTNET uh, site daily and also the Cassiopeia Forum can help you a lot in this task. And it can also help you feel connected to other people uh, who try to learn to be smart in the ocean of rampant stupidity. So the second rule of medicine is, if something is working, keep doing it. To translate it to, into the everyday life, it means that if you already have a set of behaviors or approaches to life that work, keep doing it. And again, it sounds logical and simple, but sometimes we forget, uh, forget it, particularly during stressful times. And when the so-called amygdala hijacking is happening, uh, when we run on the nervous energy, uh, and it may cause our brain to shut down, so to say. In such cases, it's important to remember ourselves or to have people around us that may remind us that we need to keep ourselves together. On the other hand, uh, this rule have a calming effect uh, that if you have a good grasp on things in your life, uh, in unstable situations, you can utilize the same level of awareness and competence. The third rule is, if something you are doing isn't working, try something else. Well, this rule seems uh, largely to ha have to do with uh, information theory. For example, uh, we are faced with a certain situation and formulate our response based on the information we received and based on our prior experience and knowledge. You could say that at any given moment we do the best we can with the tools that are available to us. But what if with time we can see that our actions don't lead to a desired outcome? What if we seem to make the same mistake again and again and we can't get over being our worst enemy? Basically, it is akin to making a wrong diagnosis uh, based on an erroneous data or on a confusing set of symptoms. In such a case, what is usually recommended in the medical world is to go back and totally reassess the situation, to look at it with a fresh eye, maybe get a second opinion, do some reading, and then make a different diagnosis. Or if the diagnosis is the same, to assign a different treatment. The same can apply to the everyday life too. We all have our own programs, cognitive biases, based on our childhood experiences, education, upbringing, uh, mentality, and whatnot. And we need to be aware of it and understand that the information we receive can be skewed by all the described, uh, described elements. If so, and if our initial reaction towards specific event turned out to be incorrect, uh, we can make an effort to tune our reading mechanism to go over the situation and see what bias, what program could interfere with an, uh, our analysis and calibrate our approach and um, make a diagnosis or assessment uh, of the situation more accurate. It is, of course, a proactive and conscious effort uh, that ideally requires a network of like-minded people who can help you calibrate your reading mechanism and point out any possible biases. Fourth rule is, if you don't know what you're doing, sit on your hands and think about it. This is a very important rule because a huge percentage of suffering in our world 
caused by incompetent people who thought they knew what they are doing and acted too rashly, or acted too rushly. The teacher who was reading the lecture to us gave us an example. Do you remember ER series? Uh, and when they had an emergency situation, you could see people immediately rushing down the corridor with the hair in the air. Well, as it turns out, this is when people can make mistakes, especially if you are not 100% sure about the diagnosis. Basically, even in emergency situations, it is best to stop and think before rushing into action. There is also no shame in admitting that you don't know something. In fact, it shows that you take responsibility for your actions and prefer to sit and learn instead of allowing the ego to run the show. It also means that we always need to use our brain. In stressful situations, it can be particularly hard because it seems that we need to do something now and very quickly. It's true that we, are sh that we shouldn't ignore this sense of urgency, but we shouldn't run on emotional energy either. So when you are feeling overwhelmed, it is better to stop, sit on your hands and think. And most of all, if you have an opportunity, share your thoughts and doubts with others. It may not only assist you with uh, lowering the stress, it may also help you with uh, reaching the optimal solution. Fifth rule is uh, when all the options failed, it is time for something radical. In the medical world, it can be surgery, or in the veterinary world, um, some uh, of the radical but unavoidable solutions can be something like euthanasia. Well, of course, if we would apply to our everyday life, it doesn't have to be so radical, but there are sometimes situations when the universe um, drops a billboard on our head, so to say. Sometimes we may be forced with situations that show us that we can go on without making some serious and radical changes in ourselves. This is when we may reach a so-called emotional bankruptcy, a highly unpleasant experience, but a necessary one, because if we go along with the process or, and uh, utilize it properly, we may become a sort of reborn, like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. But with everything else, awareness, but like with everything else, awareness and networking with others is very important. Well, this is it for the rules, but I wanted to talk a bit about an intensive care, or the equivalent of it in everyday life would be emergency situations. You probably saw movies and series where they show emergency rooms being equipped with a huge amount of super advanced equipment, lots of tubes, uh, lines, and all kinds of beeping stuff. That's how we imagine intensive care, and it seems to us that everything less than this wouldn't be adequate. Well, our teacher showed us a picture of such a super fancy emergency room, but then he showed us a picture of a fall uh, with uh, very few tubes and lines on a heating pad being covered. And he said that we probably don't understand it, but this fall uh, gets a high intensive care. And the reason for it, that in order to do a good intensive care, there is no need for all the uh, technological uh, finesse if all the fundamentals are being covered. And the first fundamental is keep it simple. It is an emergency situation, 
Any additional complication just adds to the chaos. There are three main uh, considerations in any emergency situation. The musts, the shoulds, and the coulds. In medicine, uh, musts include dealing with the primarily problem, uh, providing volume of fluids, uh, support uh, cardiovascular, uh, support respiratory and nutritional support. Uh, intensive care by design shouldn't solve the problem, but it uh, should allow human or animal to continue living and have a chance to fight another day, so to say. Another supportive must include uh, for the animal, or I guess for humans too, uh, to be warm, clean, and dry. Because without such support, no healing will occur despite best efforts. Now, so how could we apply this knowledge to emergency situations? As described, uh, in such situations there are musts, shoulds, and coulds, meaning that we need to have a clear understanding and of uh, what is essential, what is important, and what we would love to have but would be able to survive without. This is when proper planning comes into play. Our teacher shared with, with us this technique uh, where he said that during his residency he had to do really long and intensive shifts without much sleep. And after a while, of course, it causes the intention level to drop and uh, the brain not being as sharp as before. So it means that there is a much higher chance for mistakes to occur. But he was able to survive without any incident because prior to going through the shifts, he made some pre uh, preparatory work. He sat down and thought about any possible situations and about the possible outcomes, including several alternatives, uh, ranging from most optimal to worse. That seems to be the key to handling stressful situations when the brain may be not working that well. Of course, there could be truly unexpected things and we can't anticipate everything. But that's when using the brain and sitting and thinking comes into play. It doesn't have to be perfect, but at least some preparation may lessen the stress. So that's about it, and hopefully this information will assist you with handling any situations that may come your way. Thank you and goodbye. every time but I will never get over those goats it's just like just an endlessly <laughs> redeeming <laughs> sounds <laughs> so our uh, recipe for today uh, Schweinschatze which I think I'm pronouncing that right I took German in high school but that was a long time ago uh, <laughs> it's uh, a traditional German dish that translates into pork knuckles so it's a broth made from the braised meat of the pig's front foreleg um, so it's uh, intermediate uh, difficulty. There's quite a few ingredients here, so I'll try to take it kind of slowly. Uh, if you need a second, if you want to get out like a pen and paper, um, go ahead and do that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, now you, you may or may not be able to find ham hocks. Uh, some stores have them, some don't, so it depends on where you live and what you have access to. Um, but in the ingredients, uh, we have two fresh ham hocks, also called pork knuckles, uh, two carrots, 
cut into two-inch pieces, three celery stalks also cut into two-inch pieces, one medium yellow onion quartered, one leek cut into two-inch pieces, six cloves uh, cloves of garlic uh, crushed, one teaspoon of fennel seeds, one teaspoon of fresh rosemary finely chopped, two teaspoons of salt, two teaspoons of peppercorns, uh, four to six cups of pork stock, which uh, <clears throat> you can look up recipes uh, for. Maybe we'll do the uh, the standard uh, pork stock uh, recipe at some point here on the show. But um, if you just make a kind of a standard pork stock, there's four to six cups. Uh, three tablespoons of arrowroot powder, uh, which is a, uh, a gluten-free um, kind of flour substitute. Uh, one quarter cup uh, apple cider vinegar. One half teaspoon ground cumin. One teaspoon of fresh uh, parsley, chopped up, and the zest of one lemon. So it's quite an ingredients list there. And if you didn't get it all, uh, our show is archived on Blog Talk Radio, so you can listen back to it and um, hopefully kind of go over that again and get those all down. Um, <clears throat> and for reference, too, this is from the book that I like to refer to quite a bit called Beyond Bacon uh, by mm-hmm. Stacey Toss and Matthew McCurry. Um, so the process is in a large stock pot, combine the hocks with the carrots, celery, onion, leek, garlic, fennel seeds, rosemary, salt, and peppercorns, everything in a, uh, in a stock pot. Pour in enough of the pork stock to cover at least two-thirds of the pork. Uh, bring the liquid to a boil on the stovetop over high heat. Then reduce the heat to low and cover. Simmer for two hours or until the meat is very tender. Uh, but that should happen in about two hours. Gently remove the hocks from the stock and transfer them to a baking sheet. Roast them at 450 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes. Meanwhile, strain the stock and pour three cups into a small saucepan. Cook the stock over medium heat until it bubbles, and then sift in the arrowroot powder with a whisk, so whisk it constantly so the powder doesn't clump up. This should slightly thicken the stock, but it will not turn into gravy. So if you use the amount in the ingredients of the arrowroot powder, which was three tablespoons, which is not very much, uh, it'll just thicken it a little bit, and it won't make it into a gravy. But you're doing that in a, uh, uh, in a saucepan, not on the stovetop. Then transfer the hocks to a serving dish and pour the sauce over the top, and then finish uh, by pouring in the apple cider vinegar and sprinkling on the cumin, parsley, and lemon zest. And uh, you end up with these braised uh, pork stocks, which have the sauce kind of frizzled over top of them, uh, and then you can use the stock as a, as a base in the, uh, you want like a deep, uh, either a deep plate or a bowl uh, to serve this in. Um, so that's that's Schweinshaxe. Schweinshaxe. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I can't pronounce <clears throat> it, but I'll definitely eat it. Schweinshaxe. <laughs> 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 uh, Jonathan. Do you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that, Elliot? I think we just lost Elliot, actually. Uh-oh. 
I guess we'll have to. Uh, yeah, I can answer his question later. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, again just to push this book, and this is definitely not a, a paid promotion. It's just a book that I really enjoy. Uh, Beyond Bacon Paleo Recipes that Respect the Whole Hog. Uh, I know I've brought it up before, but it's really great. Uh, if you don't have it, um, you know, spend a few bucks and get a copy. Uh, there's recipes for every part of the pig, literally, all the way from the snout to the to the tail, um, and it, they're they're all quite good. Um, so that's our show for today. Uh, so we hope that uh, you know speaking to the topic of, of today's show that you're able to to stay sane in the world as it is. Things are getting crazy out there uh, and it is it is hard to keep a level head, uh, especially if you're paying attention to what's going on. Um, but it is also possible uh, and it's uh, it's eminently possible to utilize, you know, a lot of the, the feelings that you're experiencing um, you know, to get through this, to, to crystallize your motivation um, to find a purpose, uh, to find a passion in your life, uh, and to find an aim, uh, which is a, a really uh, important thing as we discussed. Um, you know, in order to uh, to progress in, in learning and contributing to humanity and to uh, society, you need to, to have an aim. You need to have something that you are striving for and towards. Um, and also, just to reiterate, uh, the point that Elliot had brought up about getting involved <clears throat> with other people is is very important. Uh, you, in a certain sense, you have to do this on your own, uh, but in another sense, you uh, you can't. Uh, that's that duality aspect of things. Um, so you have to drum up your own you know motivation, but you also have to uh, be involved with with others of like mind. Um, so, you know, I would recommend to our listeners, if, if any, you know, I, a lot of our listeners are involved uh, with the Cassiopeia Forum, but uh, if you are not, um, definitely check it out, you know, and there's there's just, I can't even tell you how much information is on there uh, and really good discussion on the, the topics that we have uh, have talked about today. So that's uh, Cassiopeia.org slash forum, uh, and that's a great place to start if you if you have no one around you who is of uh, like mind and you want to, um, you know, to have discussions with other people uh, on these kind of topics, it's a great place to start. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, also to, uh, um, you know, to plug our, our two other shows for the SOT Radio Network, um, The Truth Perspective, which is uh, tomorrow, Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, and Behind the Headlines on Sunday at noon Eastern, U.S. time. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure what those translates what those translate to in Central European time, but uh, I think it's an eight-hour difference. Um, we can look that up. So it's uh, two Eastern on Saturday and twelve Eastern on Sunday at the same page on Block Talk Radio. You can stream those shows here, and of course, every show is uh, archived. And you can also access all of the um, the Sod Talk Radio shows uh, through iTunes if you use the uh, the iTunes podcast app. So uh, thanks again to everybody for tuning in and to our chat participants, and we will see you next Friday. Bye, everybody. <laughs>